0: I'm R.E.A. Schwartz, along with my co-host tonight, Rachel Gallagher, Pat Ralph, and a special guest, Brady Klopfer. Welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover different topics important to the W. Using X's and O's, along with key stats, we bring honest and critical analysis. What up, L.A.? What up, L.A.? We got a special guest for you tonight, one of our beat writers based in the L.A. area, Brady Klopfer. Brady, say hi to the folks, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Been mean to get on here for a while. I'm excited to finally be here.
0: So, Brady, you've been doing some amazing work. Uh, you know, covering the Sparks all season and just just crushing it. Um, could you Thank talk you. to me? Give me uh, no problem. Uh, you know, it has nothing to do with uh, with your allegiance to us. But uh, <laughs> but I want to talk to you. I mean, LA Sparks. You came on to this beat coming off of back to back finals appearances. Give me kind of your mindset I, even before we get into the season. What was your mindset about this team going into the year? Well,
1: I believe when we did our our picks at the beginning of the year, I had predicted them to win the championship. I thought you look that like a fool, don't you? I do, I do now. Um, I thought that they were the most talented team, um, one of the most balanced and experienced teams with one of the best coaches. I still think all of those things. Um, But I expected us to see this continuation of the trend that we have been building of Minnesota and Los Angeles being the elite teams that were just ahead of the other 10 teams. Um, That obviously didn't happen, but going into the season, I didn't really see any reason to think that we were going to see a deviation from kind of a a two-headed monster at the top of the league. But here we are, and they're both gone now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I kind of want to ask you this. Um, Focusing more on the Sparks, do you believe that, I mean, how much of the early injuries that this team faced, I mean, I, I feel like, Parker was injured early on, and then when Parker comes back, NECA gets injured. Then, obviously, she had later season injuries or issues. Um, how much of their season, if you want to call it a derailing, comes down to injuries, and how much of it is they just weren't it this year?
1: It's definitely both. They weren't it this year. Even even when they were healthy, they just weren't quite good enough. But the flip side of that is, as we're seeing right now at, at the juncture that we are in the playoffs. A lot of these things come down to variation, especially with these single elimination games now, where if the Sparks hadn't been injured, even though they're not quite good enough, if they hadn't been injured, they probably end up with the third or the fourth seed. And then they don't have the single elimination games. They get some much needed rest that absolutely destroyed them at the end of the season and at the playoffs. And who knows what kind of noise they might be making in the playoffs is we've seen, there's enough parody this year that anyone has a shot on any given night. So even if they had been healthy all year, I don't think they were as good as the top teams in the league. I don't think they would have won the title, but I do think that they would have slid into one of those higher seeds, avoided the single elimination games and the travel that ultimately doomed them in and at least given themselves you know, a roll of the dice, but I don't think they would have been the favorites. Pat, do you agree or
0: disagree?
2: Well, I think I was actually going to ask this. You stole my question a little bit, Ari, but that's okay. Um, You know, I felt like watching them this year that it felt like something was kind of off, you know, and after they got off to that hot start at the beginning of the year when they had the best record in the league for the first couple weeks there, it seemed fine, but then after that, something seemed off, and then I really look at is like when they lost when they were without NECA for so much of the season, I think it really threw off that chemistry. It felt like Brady, and it felt like even when they got her back, it just felt things just felt out of whack, and nothing ever felt like to seem nothing seemed to click. Um, and then you look at too, like I think Odyssey had a great season last year; she takes a major step back this year, um, so you lose that factor too. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's a little bit mix of just like, and I think that they. Their margin of error that they had, and we talked about this with the Lynx before, like the margin of error they had against their opponents was wiped out this year because of how much better the league got. Um, You know, the the last year, I mean, you know, their rebounding numbers and their three point numbers are actually not a new thing. I mean, if you look like last year, they were not a good rebounding team either, and they were not a good three point shooting team. But the difference though is now these other teams are so much better at that. It's like that margin of error that they once had is now gone. Um, And like you guys said, even if they were healthy, it's not a guarantee that they still be playing right now.
1: And that margin of error is is a really important thing to note because with the way the league is growing, that just finally came to a head this year. And I think that was inevitable. I didn't expect it to happen this year. But I think if you look in any professional sports organization, you see this trend. It, it, it always happens where the teams in front are able to keep doing what they've been doing because it's working. And the teams behind them are forced to innovate and evolve and find a way to catch up to the teams in front of them. It's always easier to speed up when you're in second place than when you're in first place. And then eventually they, they surpass those teams. I didn't think it was going to happen this year. It happened. Um, but you know, to your point, Pat, I was looking at the numbers once the season finally ended. A frequency of long twos attempted, Minnesota first, Los Angeles second. Frequency of threes attempted, Los Angeles 10th, Minnesota 11th. Frequency of transition opportunities, Los Angeles 10th, Minnesota 11th. Those were two teams that had a style that worked, and no one forced them to change that style because no one was good enough. And now those teams behind them were forced to evolve so that they could leapfrog Los Angeles and Minnesota. And like you said, there's enough talent in the league, there's enough parity in the league that the Sparks didn't have that margin for error anymore. They weren't playing the game in a modern way. And like you mentioned, Pat, they weren't clicking. They weren't cohesive. And when you take in, into account the evolution and the parity of the league, there was just no margin for error for them to play that way.
3: Let me just add a couple points here. And I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think that uh, the biggest thing for me, and I don't know if you guys remember this. I mean, this was, this was early on in the season and it was a big build-up game where, um, Seattle was taken on LA and it was on ESPN. And like, we were all talking about it. We we're all really hyped about it because I think at that, at that, at that stage, it was, you know, only a few games into the season. And, um, it, it, they ended up, you guys remember this game? I mean, they absolutely just got like completely dominated. You know, Seattle came out. Yeah, like like a Seattle ended up coming out just like, like like just punched him in the face left and right. Ended up, the final score was 88-63. Uh, Seattle just dominated. And I, I remember watching that game and kind of looking at this um, L.A. team, not necessarily, you know, obviously every team has a bad game, but, um, looking at this and kind of thinking like, man, they, they don't even have like a that same pep in their step that we have seen at times. And I remember kind of from that moment on. Um, obviously, they went on a few runs. They 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 had some great performances, um, but but they were never able to um, be consistent with it. And I think we've talked about it from from an aspect of the injuries, and you've got Beard and Neca who are you know in and out of the lineup, which is detrimental to your team, your, your cohesiveness, your chemistry, all those things you guys are nailed it on the head, but I don't know what it was, you know? And I just remember at that, at that point watching that game and kind of thinking like, man, like who is this team right now? And, and I remember thinking it um, several times throughout the season after that point, but I just wanted to bring that, that, that specific game up because I think um, I was, I was very much taken away by that. I don't know how you guys feel about it.
2: Brady, I was going to ask you, um, it felt like coming into this year that, coach agler brian agler was going to try to use more of that bench you know it it felt like he wasn't going to try to be as dependent upon that starting five and then you know a couple off the bench but as the year went along it seemed like they kind of just regressed back to their habits of just playing a couple off the bench and he didn't really use you know sydney or katie lou or you know um it, it just felt like there was not a it was it was inconsistent do you think that that was something that looking back, do you think that's something that you think could have made a difference for this team or, or if, or if not, or do you think that that's something that you think the sparks will have to do coming this offseason is really invest in, you know, uh, you know, really developing that bench. Like, I mean, they obviously went out and signed Cappy Pondexter. That clearly did not work out. That was done in dead and gone in about what, 10 games or so, not even maybe, but, um, what do you think of that and like the, the use or lack thereof of their bench this season? Well, I think it kind of
1: it goes back to the point that Rachel was making about this team just never quite clicking, and it kind of forced Agler's hand a little bit. I talked with him a lot, especially early on in the year, about the bench and asked him, especially with um, with Marja Vadiva, because I think she brings a really interesting element to that team. Obviously, she's very young, a little bit wrong, I agree. But she brings something that that team doesn't have and that that team needs. And I asked him a lot, you know, are you going to play Vadiva? Are you going to try to get her more minutes? And his answer with her and with all the bench players was always, yes, I want to get the minutes, but the games are going to dictate that. He would never, never commit to who was going to play on any given night. He would always have the same answer. The game is going to dictate who gets to see the minutes. and. Looking back on the season, just, you know, loosely loose memory here, I'd have to to go through it more closely and see if this is true. But the game against Minnesota, the first game out of the All-Star Break, is the only game I can remember all year where they looked good start to finish. They other than that, they didn't have games. Even even their games that they were winning by double digits, they were always having a quarter or fifteen minutes. Where they were really struggling and it ended up being a dogfight at some level. And that really, I think, played a role in Agler never feeling comfortable going to his bench. And even one game, and they played Phoenix, I think, right after the break, and they got a 20 point lead in the second quarter and emptied the bench for like the final two minutes of the first half. And the lead got cut in half, something like that. And I think Agler just saw that those players weren't quite experienced enough yet. Vadiva and Samuelson and Wiese, they they just weren't quite ready. And it is something they need. And at the same time, they need to find the luxury of playing well enough that they can actually afford to grow those players. But part of it is also going to come from developing a scheme that's a little bit more useful towards those players. Vadiva is a modern big Samuelson is a very, very good shooter. Those are things that they need to incorporate more into their offense. And if they adjust their offense a little bit next year, they'll be able to actually play those players and have them be assets rather than having to wait until they have garbage time where they can get those guys in. Because I think that really hurt them this year, just feeling like they couldn't afford to build some depth and then, like you said, we saw at the end of the year, this was a team that was that was playing a very very short bench. Obviously, the Pondexter move didn't work out for one reason or another. They never even filled that spot, so they were working with a you know a short bench to begin with, and then they don't. There are three players on that bench that they're not playing, um, so they are they need to change that next year. But part of that just comes from the starters playing better, so that they can afford the young players some time to grow.
0: It's it's really interesting. Because I think I've seen a similar, just based off what you're describing, a same thing happen with Minnesota, where you just don't see them giving that option. And in my opinion, I agree with you, Pat. They regressed back to old habits. Um, I guess my question for you, Brady, is spending so much time with this team, you know, kind of picking Agler's brain left and right, looking forward to next season. Is this going to be – I mean, uh, look, we we know NECA's not going anywhere. Candace isn't going anywhere. They're never going to let Chelsea go. There's some questions about whether or not Beard uh, will return for another year. She obviously has gas left in the tank. Shout-out to uh, Defensive Player of the Year Award, which we'll touch on shortly. My question for you, Brady, is do you feel like we're going to see, you know, some turnaround on this team, or is this essentially the same roster? Uh, in my opinion uh, – sorry, Odyssey Sims is gone – but, but, I mean, uh, kind of speak on that and what you think this roster is going to look like next year.
1: I think it's going to be pretty similar. I think they realize that they have the pieces. This team is so similar to the 2017 team that surely feels like they should have won the title that year. I think, I think for the team, they're going to realize that they need to make some adjustments to the way they play more than adjustments to the personnel. And I think they tried to make those adjustments this year, but because they had been so good in years past, they didn't really see how imperative those adjustments were. And Candace Parker said it after the Mystics destroyed them to end their season. She said that the game is changing. We can't play the way that we played before. It's not going to work anymore. And Agler said that a lot through the year. And we never actually saw it on the court because it's just hard, I think, as players— to implement those kind of changes when you've been sitting on on the top for so long, you don't see the need to deviate from what you've done so well until it no longer works. So I think they realize that I think we're going to see a very similar team in terms of personnel next year. They have the seventh pick this year and the draft doesn't have that, or at least right now, doesn't have that superstar at the top like Asia Wilson, but I think it's a pretty deep draft where we could see them getting a kind of player that could really, really impact them back at that seventh pick who could come in and play 15, 20 minutes a night right out of the gate. And that will obviously help. But, you know, they'll, they'll target someone in free agency. They absolutely will. They, they did that this year with Cappy Pondexter, and it didn't work. But they're going to take that same approach this year. But I think that they're looking for another Cappy. They're looking for a Cappy that works, I should say. But I think they felt like Cappy is that one piece that's maybe missing. And I think this year they're going to still feel the same way despite the setback, that as long as they evolve, as long as they integrate some new elements into their game, draft well with a seventh slot, you add one solid rotation player in free agency, and there's no reason that they can't get right back to the top of the league.
0: Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I kind of want to talk about... Elena Beard for a moment, Um, and I'm gonna let Pat come in after me, and then and then Rachel, and then Brady. Um, Pat, we've talked about this a lot. Mm -hmm. The eye test, beard. I mean, beard is just next level eye test. Um, Statistically, though, it's pretty. You know, it's not as clear cut. Um, Kind of, kind of break it down for the folks.
2: Yeah, so we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, when you watch – see, for me, if I was voting, I didn't have a vote. I know, Brady, you had a vote. Um, you know, if I were voting, I was torn between Sylvia Fowles and Elena Beard. Um, and my reasoning was – kind of you alluded to a little bit, already. was I had looked – from the eye test, like watching Elena Beard play, it's just like you watch her and you realize immediately – I tweeted to say, like you realize immediately why she is the best – perimeter defender if not the best defender in the entire league why she's a two-time defensive player of the year I mean her quickness her tenacity she's physical you know the fact that she has you know her claim to fame may be shutting down two of the greatest scores in the history of of women's basketball let alone basketball in general like with between Diana Taurasi and Maya Moore like that alone is just an incredible accomplishment um you see that when she plays like I-, I remember specifically watching her um when you when the L- sparks were playing the liberty and i mean she was just you know all over the floor like diving for loose balls and and picking off passes and this and that and so when you watch it you almost have to you just kind of throw throw stats out the window when you look at her because you can just see like she's really good but like you look at sylvia and she was like top two or three and like defensive win shares and defensive rating and defensive rebounds. And like, obviously you see her and you watch what she does for Minnesota and literally she's just a force, um, you know, at the rim and she's able to just, you know, what she does controlling that paint is just, you know, I think she's the best defensive big in the league. Um, and so I think there was a tour in there. So I think either way we went with that was fine. I think it was just interesting for me. And then I'll pass the ball off to whoever wants to go next here is, I think it was interesting that there was one team out there that did not vote for Elena Beard for first team or second team, all defensive. And uh, Brady, I know you tweeted about this today. I was tweeting about it. Rachel, Ari, we were all tweeting about how the discrepancy between the head coaches and um, the media was very different in the voting. But the real big thing was the Elena Beard thing. And, like, you know, the sparks, it did not go unnoticed. I mean, we saw it today, guys. We were talking about Brian Agler was tweeting at us, like, Uh, what's going on here, Uh, he was clearly not thrilled. Um, And they're obviously a little bit wondering who this mystery team is. But I just think it's interesting that, you know, I just thought I I took it as like how different a perception can be, like the media's perception from it than a coach's perception. So um, I'll pass it off to whoever wants to go now and chime in here. But, I mean, Elena Beard, though, like so deserving. Just you talk about meeting the eye test. I mean, just blows her away and just is so – just it's one of those players you just flip on the tape, and you want to teach a, you know a young basketball player how to play defense. Look no further than watch her.
0: Rachel, talk to me. What are your thoughts?
3: No, I, I think she's <laughs> she's incredible. There's a reason that she won it. Um, I, I also think that Sylvia Fowles is incredible. You know, so um, I do. I think it's interesting. You know, the, the the discrepancies and just kind of this week, especially just kind of broadening it when it comes to to, to the voting and, and media voting and just even the kind of the, men, the mentality, the things that people look at um, when they make those decisions, when it does come to voting. And so, um, you know, I, I don't really have a ton of add t- to add to that besides just kind of echoing what I agree about Beard. And um, I she's such a like a breath of fresh air, you know, to, to watch and just just the motor that she plays with, how, how tough she is on the defensive end of the floor, and there I mean, there's a reason they're the best defensive team in the league, um, and it's because she's at the forefront of it. So um, I know the Sparks have have got to be so thankful for her on their roster, and it hurts them so much when she's not there. Um, and and we talked about just the being consistent. You know, this is a team that relies on the defensive end of the floor in order to have some success, and when she's not there. We're not, we're not just talking offensive consistency and just, you know, Candace Parker playing well, um, you know, Chelsea Gray playing well, Odyssey, whatever, you know, it, it it's, all, it's all fueled by the defensive end of the floor. And so when Beard isn't there, she's in and out of the lineup, that's part of the reason it throws off that flow so much. Um, what she brings to the table, um, and, I, and I think she's very deserving of it. So.
1: And I think an important point on that, Rachel, is almost every single time that I would – ask a Sparks player after a game what was working with their offense, they would point to the defense first, and then they would point to Elena Beard every single time, all season long. You ask Candace Parker why she was so efficient on any given night, she says, well, Elena was playing great perimeter defense, and it was getting us great opportunities. So at some level, she's winning defensive player of the year there for her contributions on both sides of the floor even though she's not a very good offensive player anymore being that good on defense especially at the perimeter where you can create fast break opportunities if you create a turnover defense leads to offense and and she was the defensive player of the year in in large part because of how good of offense her defense would lead to and just for the record I if you had if you opened up my word document with my ballot on it and went through all the edits you would see elena beard sylvia fowles jessica breland like changing over and over and over and over and over again i think i changed my mind a good 15 times on the day when that was too
0: it's tough so they're all deserving wow hundred percent. I mean, look, uh, I was getting a lot of flack for my criticism of the the voting system or the number of votes that Nikki got versus Dan Hughes and all that. And I think a lot of it got misconstrued that my thing is, one, there should be a different system where you're allowed to vote a second best or a third best even. I don't know. But it the fact that it was literally... It wasn't that far of a Nikki was the head coach. It should have been more competitive in the final ballot for us to view. And, and there's a lot to it. I get that. I just had to put that in there. Um, I want to thank everybody for this episode because it was an amazing episode. This has been the WNBA Insider Show. Rachel Galligan, Pat Ralph, special guest Brady Klopfer, and me,
3: Aria Schwartz. Each week, important topics covering the WNBA.